Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Amber. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of finding strange, unusual places to explore and then getting trapped in them, possibly for hundreds of years. This week, we're talking about Bureau 13. Okay, what exactly is in Banger, Maine? I actually had two questions. Uh, the first of which being allergies. Uh, naturally, there are going to be outdoor allergens that people just have, sensitivities to pollen, to dust. Is Bangermain able to remedy allergies, or do they prohibit access to certain areas due to allergies? And on that note, for new agents coming in, will there be restrictions to certain areas of Bangermain during the first training year? Well, they're certainly going to be restricted away from the artifact and evil supernatural storage. Uh, But allergies, actually, they were actually part of the original game. So, yeah, you got an allergy, you may be knocking up any any histamines while you're there. (laughs) Well, no, I think what they would do is, again, since we're talking about a PL7 technology, you're you're going to be introduced to the environmental suit a little earlier than maybe some (laughs) of your teammates. I would think also... PL7 technology, allergies may not be a problem anymore. They may just give you a shot. Okay, you're done. Don't worry about it anymore. Trav, that depends on uh, how what game system you're using to generate your character. Right. If you're using a game system that gives you building points for having disadvantages like having allergies, then if you cure it, then you're basically giving away free building points. Yeah, yeah. And then on top of that, if they give you a shot to remedy an allergy, and being an agent is almost like living a double life. If you have a deathly allergy to dogs, and then you come back to the real world, and you're suddenly not having a reaction anymore, they're going to notice. Yeah, that's why they would have the VR training and not the actual, hey, guess what, you're out in the middle of the forest. No, you're in a VR representation of a forest. And unless the allergies were that psychosomatic where even if you think you're in one, they would kick in, then it'd be, okay, go to the pharmacy and get some antihistamine, you know. Right. If you're a boy in the bubble, then I'm sorry, you're not a good choice for a Bureau 13 agent. Most likely, then you're going to be put in a support role. What happens if you have a habit? You were that crack fiend who survived and you got inducted, and now you have a habit. This is actually something you can, as a weakness, you can get in Savage Worlds and a couple other settings. You have a habit which you have to, well, handle and get a fix every so often. So, are you on methadone while you're in training or what? I would think they would wean off an addiction before they began training. Yeah. It means you'd be spending one of your raises for that. You'd buy it off, basically. That's a choice that you have to make. However, it doesn't have to be that way because if you are addicted, it's not referring to your current physical condition. It means you have an addictive personality. It means that, okay, fine, we dry you out while you go through Bureau 13 training, but there's nothing to keep you from getting back on that hobby horse, get that monkey back on your back as soon as you get out of there. Yeah. Right. So what then becomes the criteria for recruiting, just because you've survived a paranormal encounter or a supernatural encounter, are we just going to blindly recruit you in knowing that you have allergies or complicated addictions? Well, if they can be handled, yes. But if they can't be handled, then you're not a good candidate, I would think. Then they would use you as a contact. They would say, okay, fine. You're not suitable for bureau agent training. However, we still need access to you because you have survived an encounter. We'll use you as a contact in this area. You know this area better than anyone else. Agents will be coming to you. You've seen too much. You either keep our secret or we have to kill you. Well, Well, uh, extreme, extreme. Or we have to remove your memory. I I would say for most campaigns, though, you know, the player character 
he, he gets things that normal people don't get. It's why he's the hero of the story. It's why he's the player character, not an NPC. I would say that a player character, because there are people like this in the real world, is the guy, even if he has an addiction, he is what they call like an, a functional addict. He has problems, but he is not going to spiral down you know, the rabbit hole into uh, oblivion at least so long as the campaign is running because he is one of the main characters in the story. So even if you are playing a character with an active addiction, you're functional. You know, you get your stuff, but you handle it, and you're able to move on. Think about it. Otherwise, you make up a character who has this kind of affliction, and he's non-functional. Uh, he's not really much of a character, is he? What do you really play in there? That could just be a backstory element. That could that could literally just be something that is just to color your history. So you could be a character who was an addict, and you don't have to use any points to get rid of your addiction. You you just what you would say is is that I had an addiction. I went to the bureau. Their clerics healed me, or whatever. You know, their magic users healed me. You know, they put me in a recovery program, and I kicked it. And now my character, you know, just has that as as a coloring. Where that comes in is for really good role playing is is that. You know, you encounter a demon or some really bad guy he happens to know that about you and he tempts your character. And that's where you would you would have to play out that aspect of your character. Do I take it? Don't I take it? The rules don't say I absolutely have to because I don't really have it as an affliction, but it's written into my history. If you're just saying that that was just something that was part of your character's history, then it's totally up to you to play it any way you want to. You could take the substance and give in and say, hey, you know, I used to be an addict. I couldn't help myself. Don't ever nerf the player character because otherwise he wouldn't be a player character. Right. We're assuming he's a hero. We're just going to assume right. straight out the straight out of the gate that being that he's your character, he's one of the heroes of the story. Right. At the same time, the GM shouldn't allow any blind, one-legged albino midgets, no matter how awesome his other skills are. Trav. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is. Severus Worlds, the hindrance of habit, comes in two flavors, minor and major. And the minor one is just an, an irritant. You know, you smoke cigarettes. Uh, you can quit whenever you want to, but it doesn't really cause any problems. The major one, you actually have to get a fix once every 24 hours. Otherwise, you have to make a vigor roll and suffer fatigue. For cigarettes, it would be more withdrawal than a fatigue. Yeah. Well, that's how they handle it. They don't hurt you. They just make you fatigued. The way the system works, that's we got to work with it. They list things as virtual reality addiction. Or, or I can say video games. You're a video game addict. So, yeah. So every night after, after training, you go hop in the Xbox and, yeah, you spend the next six hours playing, you know, whatever. You know what that affects you, John? I mean, like, you take the video game one, right? If you take that as a major, it's kind of silly to take that one as a major. I mean, I would take something else. Other, But let's let's just say you want to do that. It can still affect you. All that means is when you're on the mission, your character is thinking about that level and how to beat that level because you didn't play it last night and you didn't beat it. So it's been on your mind, and instead of shooting at the bad guy when you should have been, your brain is still in that game. You're still thinking about, you know, you know, Maybe I should have gone up to the to the to the next level and 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 and, and gotten that thing out of the closet. I, you know, I was looking online and I and I I found that they they said there was a secret door that I didn't go to, which is back on the previous level. You know what I mean? And that kind of stuff is that kind of stuff is running through your mind when it should be on the mission. Yeah, you're you're not on point. You're thinking about something you shouldn't even be thinking about. And in that case, basically what's happening is is that the other guys are going, dude, get your head in the game. What are you doing? It's like we're being shot at. It's like. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. We're not, we're not going to let people play the one-legged, blind, you know, one-legged, uh, one-eyed, um, you know, midget. Blind, midget, no, midget. Yeah. No, I'm a midget. But what about a character who's blind? It's a major hindrance. I would leave that for a very experienced player because I, I think it can be done. That's the player and GM decision. Depending if you go back to your old life and you're just a bureau agent, yeah, you would have to keep the blind disadvantage and you would go that way. I mean, there are some people that love the role of sitting there and being the mastermind. Mm -hmm. They're there, they're running the uh, displays, they're hacking in the computers, all those things. They don't want to get out there and physically fight. They don't want to climb the wall. They don't want to go and crawl through the sewer and go face-to-face -face with the supernatural. That character could be blind. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. and, and with the Bureau's technology, you could have a blind guy doing the computer work. 
with the beer technology, why not film it with a sonar unit? And he becomes a team ninja. I'll bring up my show real quick. The guy that I took over the third hour for, he was blind and he did computers because they had readers. Mm -hmm. He had Braille keyboards and all that. Imagine what PL7 technology could do for a blind person. And I mean, I'm not mm -hmm. bringing in the fact that you could grow them new eyes, which if they were to go back to their old lives and all of a sudden they could see again, problem. But then it's not a hindrance. Right. If the Bureau could just grow them new eyes, which they can do for some people, I would imagine. I mean, anything's possible, right? But for whatever reason, something about your character inhibits that. Like, for example, they grew them new eyes, but for whatever reason, the brain won't accept them. Uh, cybernetic rejection or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Actually, no. Actually, more or less, if you're born blind and you're now an adult, your brain never learned how to see. That's true. They would have to use technological means to be the mastermind, such as... A sonar unit. Sonar uh, units and braille keyboards and readers so you can read out what's being printed and whatnot. I would imagine that they would have very, very good hearing to compensate. Well, yeah. Yeah. I just finished a book called Incognito, which is a, is a book about how the brain works. A really incredible book. One of the things that the brain will do, it's called synesthesia, it's not just that the hearing gets better, but the visual portions of the brain get fed the audible signals. They can't see see, but they can almost see using sound. It's, it's really remarkable, and this is very real. This is very real science. You can look it up online. Oh, no, but, synesthesia. Yes, I'm, I'm familiar yeah. with it. My fellow DJ Alcabi, he basically hears color in his music. So, yes, wow. I know about yeah. the concept of synesthesia. But, I mean, th this is stuff that people develop after losing their sight. The, that portion of their brain, I mean, if it's not from brain damage, it's from optical nerve damage, that portion of their brain is still there, and the, the brain is very plastic. So that portion not being used and the brain being very efficient, what it'll do is it'll start channeling some of those signals in from the hearing, actually start using some of the visual cues. What they'll find is, is that people who have become blind can use sound to actually kind of see. It's not the same thing. It's not nearly as good. What they'll find is a blind person will walk through a room and they'll actually walk around objects in the room that they shouldn't be able to walk around because they can't see. It's... And they were like, they were like, what is going on with this? And the person didn't even know they were doing it. But it's because the other senses start using some of the plasticity of the brain. And granted, again, I, I want to emphasize this. They can't see. It, it is not nearly as good as vision. If you were to take a bureau agent and say somehow modify this, you know, with some kind of magical ability or extra <laughs> training or something like that, or a piece of technology, like I said, a little box sonar unit. You know, his glasses are actually sonar units. Sure, but it has <laughs> to still be a disability, so they have to still yeah. suffer. So, in other words, and this is how you do it. This this is exactly how you do it. You say, all right, well, you're blind, but what we're going to say is, is that your character can get around. I'm not going to have you running into traffic. We've equipped you with this stuff that will keep you from you know, dying from being blind. You don't, have to, you don't, have, you don't need a, a dog to lead you around and stuff. But things that you are very limited on, you can't recognize faces. You can't, you're going to suffer when somebody's lying to you because you can't see their phenomes. You can't see colors at all. So you don't know if it's a red flag or a green flag or whatever. You might know that there's a flag. And, of course, all of your observation roles that require sight will be at minus four. But you still get them. So you're basically a character who can get around like everyone else. You don't have to roll just to you know, walk down the street. But you're not going to be an indie driver, and you're no, you can't really see. So oh, yeah. it is it is going to affect you. Yes, this is where you can see making a character. Actually, two two players making characters to go together. One is the blind guy, and two is his dog, who's been enhanced somehow. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. My I name is Arnold. I've been seeing I dog. What problem do you have with that? <laughs> But it doesn't always have to be a dog. What I see often, uh, and people think they're being creative when they do this, is like a wolf or an eagle or a falcon, a flying animal being their visual companion. Or how about a monkey? Yeah. Yeah. He's really good at flinging poo, too, when you need it. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> be able to smell. You don't need your ears for that. On our Savage Worlds campaign, one of our characters had a he had the, all the animal empathy type stuff. He had a monkey that was his companion, 
And the DM had a lot of – or Game Master, sorry, not DM. Game Master had a, a lot of fun with the monkey because the monkey, of course, would throw poo and it was just an annoyance. But, <laughs> like, there were there were times where, like, you know, the, the enemy wouldn't even – would never think about that monkey because, you know, we're shooting at them and stuff. And the monkey would land on one of the guys and just jam poo in his ear. or other available orifice yeah (laughs) right and you know the enemy of course you know you get you know you get crap jammed in your ear and of course the guy's like oh my god get it out you know and it was just it was a lot of fun and you can have a lot of fun again like you said with with non-standard seeing eye creatures you know eagle a falcon a a monkey uh i don't know a ferret so blake you were running a real smear campaign is that what you're telling yeah. It's a pulp campaign, and the yeah, the monkey was just interesting. It was like I think he got the idea from Tales of the Gold Monkey, you know, and yeah. or whatever. But but it was it was really cool. Yeah. So it's a, there is a place for people in Bangor, Maine, who don't you know who may have disabilities of some sort. They may still get training, you know. So yeah, you're in a wheelchair. Okay, you're gonna be you're gonna you're not gonna be as mobile as some of the folks, but yeah, you got a wheelchair motor in that thing. If you need to, you can do twenty miles an hour. <laughs> so you say wheelchair, the first thing I think of, unfortunately, is Professor X. Well, yeah, and that wheelchair is gonna be tricked out. You're gonna have all sorts of gadgets. You're gonna have the armchair, the armrest computer, and you might have a weapon or two built into that thing. Yeah, you may be in a wheelchair, but you are anything but defenseless. They put force fields on it and, you know, just all sorts of stuff. You'll be like Mr. No Legs, that exploitation film where the guy was in the wheelchair and he had twin machine guns built well, into I'm the th- armrest. <laughs> I was thinking of that awful Aliens 4. It's one of those 50% movies. Like 50% of that movie was really awesome and the other 50% oh, was horrible. Yeah. It's like I love those mercenaries. They were really cool. Like the movie started out really awesome. And then it just kind of tanked and went, you know, into the gutter. But like the little guy in the wheelchair, now, mind you, uh, something that far in the future with a dude in a wheelchair is just kind of stupid. But let's remove that and just take the fact that he had this wheelchair. He had a weapon built into the wheelchair that he could get through any security system because it was, it was completely disassembled. So he would literally start taking his wheelchair apart and taking the pieces and putting them together, and he had a weapon. So, that I mean, that's the kind of stuff you could do because – Who's going to question a guy in a wheelchair if there's nothing, any kind of obvious weapon? Right. Moving on to finally. <laughs> I've been beating you back every time you tried to do it. Dime compression. Yeah. <laughs> One of the biggest issues is that, well, personnel tend to die in months in, in, in real time. I would think that for a bureau agent, if you wanted to do an agent have him where he did downtime, have him spend time in Bangor, Maine. He might spend a two-year stint there, and he comes back two days later. Right. There's some huge advantages to having time compression. Let's see. You had pluses here. Agents can recover from injuries with no outside downtime. If you can get to your card reader and get to Bangor, Maine, and once they clear you and see that you're injured, they scan you and say, okay, he's good. Get him in the infirmary. I think that also would be a bit of a downside, especially if you have doctors observing your recovery. I mean, who's the personnel? Bunch of vampires? Because you need someone there who can, well, live there and not die in four or five months. Let's say you have a bureau agent who is a doctor. And let, let's just make it where, while you're a bureau agent, you have to spend a year at Bangor, Maine, helping in the facility. Everybody gets a turn working there. They spend maybe a year there. So they help run the facility. It's not going to cause any long-term health issues, not going to be aged. One-year mandatory staffing. Yeah, one-year mandatory staffing for every bureau agent. And they come back a day later. No harm, no foul. You get to have access to the to Bangor Maine's resources. You help run the place. Because, let, let, like I said, let's say, let's see, Massacre of 77 took them 10 years to reorganize. We'll just say flat out, Bangor, Maine was made around 1990, the pocket dimension of Bangor, Maine. Okay. We also have to assume that not all the staff are going to be human. Right, yeah. So but alien oh, species yeah. could live much, much longer. Maybe they can stay there for a decade. And also, PL7 high PL8, there is no problem with either magical or technologically-based anti-geria treatments, 
where you don't age. Up to a limit. I can live to be 120 years old, or I can live to be 200 years old. I still have to make that roll. Well, right, yeah. It'll slow (laughs) aging considerably, and that way then you can spend more time. Again, that's the GM deciding, do I want to bring this technology into this campaign? And you have two clocks. One clock is internal time, one clock is external time. You look up and it says, that's 601. That's a good uh, five, six, seven days outside, right? Yeah. <laughs> I have a solution. You can have the time dilation and much along John's idea, but you don't have it everywhere. You have one area that has time compression, and that's where you put your trainees. Your instructors, they don't train 24-7 these trainees. They come in and maybe they spend two or three hours and then they leave that area. So they don't have to be constantly in that time compressed area. You can have clocks and cameras that can be studying these people while they're training. You can have them following certain amount of canned regimens. The people who are the trainers don't have to go through the same amount of time compression as the trainees. Some of the trainers may also be immortal or dead. So that doesn't bother them being in there for God knows how long. It's a Bureau 13 convention that mm-hmm. even after you die, you're still a member of the Bureau. Especially like ghosts can probably pass from the slow time to fast time without too much problem. Right. You know. Because it's not like you can carry anything. But to see the biggest thing that you guys are not considering, and that is, is that you're assuming that this is all fascinating for the trainers. Oh, yeah. What about boredom? I mean, it's one thing to be spending every moment of your, your supposed 100, 200, 300 years of relative time doing really exciting things. But if we, what you're doing is taking a washcloth and, and wringing the wet from behind the ears of these novice trainees, people start shooting themselves to be done with this. <laughs> I would think that there are also recreational facilities if people are going to be living there. They're oh, going to make it where there where there there's going to be ways for people to unwind. Anything from yeah. arcades and of course, you know, you're gonna have arcades that are like VR hollow decks. How can I put this? The only people who can actually produce games for it are the people who live there. If they're that high advance. So, of course, they know the game already. They know all the back doors to the game because they put them in themselves. You know that's not true. There are people still playing Atari 8-bit. Gameplay has nothing to do with the graphics or the processor that it runs on. It's just how well you design the game. People play chess, and they've been playing it for 10,000 years exactly the same way, still getting enjoyment out of it. These people who are the instructors, they may have outside families. They may not want to give up on the passage of time outside either. They don't want to be spend their entire lives within a year, even with life enhancements, inside of Bangor, Maine. So unless you have an enormous uh, staff of people to replace these people so you can shift them in and out on a, on a regular basis, Bureau 13 becomes enormous if you do that, which is why I'm making the suggestion that maybe the idea is say, okay, we have the time compression for all the advantages it provides, but at the same time, you don't have to be in the time compression 24-7 if you don't want to. Even outside of the time compression, what would you do to keep yourself entertained day to day? How is it any different there versus here besides the time compression? When I said that there is the different climates within the Bangor, Maine pocket dimension, that would give people a chance to go hiking, to go to do traveling. Oh, I want to go to the desert. Well, fine. There's the desert area. You can go and hike there for right whatever. Right over there. Take a left at the forest. Right, exactly. Well, it has to be all within a time compression area because if it's outside of it, if you go out for just for a couple of hours, you've missed months worth of training. Yeah. Which is why we <laughs> think that there are going to be large spaces of land of the different climates inside of Bangor, Maine, inside the time compression. Yeah. I agree. I'm not saying not. I'm just saying is it, but it doesn't all have to be, and that solves so many problems. If you have time compression everywhere, then from the outside, it's going to look like there's a constant jailbreak going on. Because all those supernatural that are in there, all those artifacts that are slowly gaining power over time, they're going to be kicking off like firecrackers all 
you know, from the outside all day long. You know, it's going to be really hard to contain all those things in there when they have centuries to plan and it's only a couple days on the outside. Yeah, because I just did the math. Let's say Bangermain was invented in 1990. It is now 2012. Bangermain will have been in business for 8,030 years. Yeah. It may end up becoming a monolithic type of institution. Bureau 13's only been around for... Let's see, it started Civil War, 1863. Uh, what's stopping anyone from setting up a power base inside Bangor, Maine? Now, I can spend five days here, and that is five years worth of development. I can bring in a bunch of uh, fertile young women and in, in, in two months have an army. Yeah. Well, with the resources as far as magic and technology and things are concerned. One year later, Bangor, Maine spawns the galactic level society because their technology has written, you know, has gone up over those 300 years to immense capabilities. So I really think that it's a mistake to make Bangor, Maine someplace where it's always under time compression. Every bureau agent goes to the training area three times. Once as a novice, you're being trained Second, as an assistant to the trainer, and third, toward the end of your career, as the trainer. So you basically you going to spend three years of your life in the in the time compression f- field. You, one of them learning an air to imparting knowledge, especially the guys who lived until retirement age. If they survive, you may want to talk to that guy who's who's retiring from the bureau. He knows stuff. Well, that's fine, but why would you want to go in there and train other times? I think what he's getting at is these three times are mandatory, whereas you can voluntarily come in at any time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I do like that mandatory thing because, let's face it, if you've been out there dealing with this 24-7, you know a lot. Bureau is going to want people who have lived this lifestyle to come and train new Agents coming in saying, okay, I've been through this. I've been doing this now for 15 years. I know of what I speak. Compared to you, I've seen it all. I've heard it all. I understand that the human brain can only survive so long with artificial assistance. But I would imagine that in a level 7 technology, that they would advance on that a bit to extend the period of time. So why don't we consider the option that there may be cyborgs or androids, a human brain functioning in a mechanical body as teachers, as staff. Well, by the same token, you could also say that they get cloned. There are ways of of extending lifespan. You know, that's true. Right. But I would also imagine it would be a voluntary thing, not, oh, you're dead? Okay, we're going to use your brain now. But if somebody really wants to devote their life and they're going to die, but they want to continue helping Bangor, Maine, if they volunteer it, then why not take advantage of that? That's another staff member you'll have for how many years? So they've had enough. You know, this time compression thing is something that it doesn't happen automatically. Maybe when you you go in, you go into a, a zone where it's time compressed, but you have to commit ahead of time. So once you go in, you're stuck for that period of time. So you would have to yeah. say, I'm going to go in for training and this training is going to be three years. I can't get out for three years and I'm, I'm going in with the people that I'm going in with. So that's great. You know, from a role playing standard, you know, if you're just playing a role playing character uh, and you don't care about the, you know, the realism of, of real people in real life, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm going to go in for 50 years and train and become the most powerful character ever. That's not realistic in realistic terms. If you commit to going in for three years for training and you're going to get it done in, you know, three weeks or whatever it is. Three days. Um, three days. Sorry, three days. You know, that's great. But what you got to remember is, is that's almost like a three-year prison sentence. Your character has to go in for three years and he cannot come out before that three years is up. Like when he goes in, he's stuck with whoever he goes in with. So for three years, him and say three or four other people, because I imagine they would do these in classes are going to be stuck in this temporal zone for for three years. That's cool once. I can mm-hmm. imagine if, if it was me, I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to go in for three years. I'm going to get all this really awesome training. You know, I would go and do it one time, and I would get out and be like, I'm never doing that again. That's great. That was fine. 
about year 1.5, you'd be saying, right. when is it over? When is it over? <laughs> exactly. And that, that's what I'm saying. That's where you throw the limitation in. You say that, you know, sure, you, you can have this time compression, but you can't just leave when you get tired. You have to commit when you go in to the amount of time compression you're going to have. Standard with being an agent, period? Yeah, I'd be thinking yeah. that, oh, yeah, the one year you're going in, you're in. I mean, there is no oh. getting out. You go through the training. No, no, no. I'm fine with that. No, I'm fine with that. I'm just saying that that the limitation to keep people from abusing this is the fact that they have to realize that their character, think about it in the terms of, I'm going to go into prison for this period of time. Because yeah. you're completely shut off from the world. You can't get news. You can't see movies. You know, not, Nothing new. Well, no- nothing from the outside world, but I'm sure they could get access to it from Bangor, Maine. You have a time compression. Doesn't stop, you know, light from coming in. Doesn't stop electricity from coming in. It just means you have a really slow internet connection. I'm saying that's the kind of limitation. If if I was a game master to put on it to keep people from abusing it. Why do you think there's going to be abuse? Because maybe that's what I don't understand. Are agents who are coming in for something real quick and then just coming and going and coming and going as they please? Why is that a bad thing? I would think that if an agent is coming to train, they're not going to leave. That's why Bangor, Maine does provide recreational areas. You come in, you're staying until your training is done. Well, that makes sense, too. They would want to stay in there. You'd get the whole training in a day. You wouldn't want to come and go. As a real person, I don't want to be removed from the world for a year. The course of study is so intense that you don't no, no, have I, time to take What I'm saying is, is that you would do that for a year or maybe a couple years, but you would not keep doing that. A real human would not keep doing that. That's why I'm saying I don't think that Bangor, Maine should be entirely time compressed. I've played with people like this. I can see players that if you make it so that they can use it all they want, they'll have a character who will go in there for 50 years and, and have every skill maxed out as much as they can because they don't really care about their character. They're munchkins. They're min-maxing. You'll have the magical artificer who wants to generate the plus five armor and the wand of ultimate disruption. Because he'll just go into the, the time compression thing and blah, blah, blah. And get himself cloned and jump into right. the new body and leave. Fancy Games Unlimited came out with Ringworld, the yes. role-playing game. And mm-hmm. one of the problems of the game was that to get to Ringworld, it would take 50 years. With Booster Spice, it's no problem. You can live those 50 years, and all you can do on a trip there is train. Hmm. By the time you get there, your character is going to be maxed out on all his skills. Unless the GM wants to actually role-play out the 50 years, you're just going to take the average, and boom, in 50 years, you're, sk- you're maxed. Well, assuming that the person is going to have that kind of devotion. If I had 50 years before I had to do something, I'd be able to do a lot of slacking during all that. You also have the option of popping into the stasis chamber and just writing it out. And you know what? I'd be one of those people who go, stasis chamber, pop. (laughs) Some of it, sure. What you have is you have this time compression area. And this is an area where people go in to do things. So they come in, they've got the magical artifact. The magical artifact team says, okay, we're in. And they jump into the thing and they start studying and they do their experiments and stuff like that. And then when they figure out what they're going to do with it, they jump out. Or they get the thing saying, we need this today or the world's going to end. Okay, the artificing or the construction team, they all get together. Then they go in and they build whatever needs to be done and they come out and they send it off. The train, the same, the trainees go in there with their instructors or they or their instructors come in and out. But the point is, is that when you go in there, you're going in there with a task. You don't live there. Yeah. It's not recreation for you. You're in there to do something. You come back out and then you recreate or you leave and, and jo- rejoin your families. You know what this would be good for? Think it from a game mechanics perspective. It doesn't matter what system you're playing. You know, we always try to say that all of TriTac stuff is system independence. So let's say you're playing some game. I don't care what the system is, but you're, you're earning experience points and you want to spend your experience points on something. What would be really cool is, is that if this was used as, well, I have X number of experience points, which would let me raise my level, several levels in this one skill. I'm going to use the time compression thing, jump in there, spend my experience, and I have that skill. So that what it's saying is, is that it gives you a mechanism 
for spending your experience on skills that you didn't learn in the normal world. I learned this skill that's completely unrelated to anything that my character's been doing because he went into this time-compressed thing for like two days, which was two years in his time, and he learned how to, I don't know, be a football player or something like that. You know, I spent my points on learning how to play gridiron football. And your character comes out, and he's now he's a football player. Two years older, too. It's a way to allow people to expend experience in like completely unnatural ways. We want to spend experience on this, but how did your character ever do this? You know, I mean, how do you ever find a time to do this? Blix, in the Second World Sourcebook, which I use with my D20 campaign, they have something called special training. If you make a profession role, spend, well, they call influence points, but one influence point equals a thousand gold pieces. And I'm sure that for uh, money, and there, I believe there is a, there's conversion charts in D20 Modern. So if you figure out the wealth score and the experience point in the Second World Sourcebook, they've got various types of training courses, anything to give you competence bonuses on skills, bonuses on combat, bonuses on saves, and they have three levels. You get like you can do a plus one, plus two, or plus three, and one might be three IP or 3,000 gold pieces worth and 900 experience points. And then the other one is, you know, like... Five and eighteen hundred and six and thirty six hundred, and the way that they do it in time is that it's one week plus another week per six hundred experience points or fraction thereof spent. So if you're doing something that costs thirty six hundred experience points, you're in Bangor, Maine for seven weeks. That's just the system that's in the Second World Source book. I found it to be very useful in my campaign. What Blix is talking about. I, I know of a mechanic that can be done at least for D20, that you can do that. You spend experience points, it tells you how much time you have, and mm. you can gain these skills. And you can just say, it's done in my off time in between adventures. Yeah. And um, Bruce, what you wanted to talk about, about it being a privilege, not a right to use the time compression, come up with a cost DC and use it like a, oh God. The requisition rules in D20 Modern. You make the requisition check and say, okay, I want to use the time compression area of Bangor, Maine to do this. You make a requisition check, and if you fail it, then fail it, then Bangor, Maine says, we don't deem it something that merits the time compression. Of course, my solution was the machine that actually does the time compression can only run for eight hours then it has to takes three months to recharge before it can run again another eight hours mm. <laughs> basically bruce jumps on me when i go ultra magic now i'm jumping on bruce and going ultra time compression i mean my way of limiting this is actually saying it only runs for eight hours and in eight hours it's what's one year inside the field and then it turns off and it's got to recharge itself it's some sort of alien device that they found and then they'd be able to use it and that's about it. And you, you get you basically got once every quarter you get it's training time. If you want to do some training, make sure you're there on time. Otherwise, it's normal. Everything's normal. You just gotta wait until that time comes along so you can pop in and do that one year's training. So that's well, why everyone gets trained. I do see the merit. I do see the yeah. merit in that, John, because you know you're going to have that power to manipulate time like that is going to be a major energy sink. So, yeah, mm -hmm. you're going to need something like that for your version of Bangor, Maine in order to merit having to do that every so often. Manipulating time flow like that, yeah, that, that would be something you need like zero point energy to manipulate. So that, that device, you might end up wreaking havoc with time. So they might say, we can only run it this long because if it overheats, bad stuff will happen. Well, I also see <laughs> another reason why you would want to have your your time compression device not operating all the time. Yeah, I'm having but, a lot of trouble thinking of Bangermain as selectively time compressed because from what I'm understanding, you come in for your initial year. You have a full 365-day training. It is mandatory. There's no getting out of that. Afterwards, you can come back for voluntary training, but your voluntary training or your classes aren't going to be a year long. They're going to just be a couple of weeks, seven weeks, six weeks, somewhere around there. You may also have other agents who are just looking for recreation, and they may come to just get some downtime without sacrificing too much outside time. So there are 
a multitude of, of reasons why an agent would come to Bangor, Maine. So having only a specific area or only a specific time of when compression is available really limits the functionality of what Bangor, Maine That's is. That's why uh. I make it a requisition check. The GM would have to set a relatively decent DC, and you'd use the requisition rules. Okay, is this something absolutely important to the character? Well, finding out how this artifact works. Yeah, I'd say that would be pretty important, and you manipulate the score that way. It's in the equipment section of D20 Modern. Right. Also, also, but also Amber- let's say like an agent is suffering traumatic stress, and they're looking to just get away. Just walk away from everything and just find a neutral area, and they just want to get some recreation without. That would be medical leave. Then that would that would be something where you're requisitioning, and that would be a high modifier in your favor because it is helping your mental health. Yes, John. Yeah, Amber. Limitations make for better stories. If you can only do it once a quarter and get time compression, that means you have a limited resource to work with. It means you have a limitation to work around. So it makes for more interesting stories to the players. Instead of, oh, yeah, I got my leg got cut off, but I, I can get one grown back in about oh, uh, six weeks and I go to Bangor, Maine. There's no worry about the leg being missing. Or, or you got some problem. You just go to Bangor, Maine, bang, it's gone. So you're taking away problems from the characters they, they've gotten during their adventures. Let's go to Bangor, Maine, and it's, and it's taken care of. That's why I had said for <laughs> mine and Bruce's version, make it a requisition yeah. check. If you want to have that leg yeah. grown, you better do go through jumping the hoops to make sure that it's worth their time to put you in there. It depends on the effect you're trying to do. If you're running an adventure and one of your team members loses a leg and therefore becomes essentially relatively ineffective... As a result, I'm not saying that it has to be that way, but let's just say it is. The players are like, okay, fine. So we're going to sit around for six months to let his leg grow back, or we have to just, you know, get rid of this character or, or something like that. You know, wouldn't it be great just to be able to do this and then we can go on? In the meantime, who's watching out for America when our team is, is essentially non-operational? So if you see this as a means of increasing the RP of your game, well, you know, by all means, you know, have this person keep that disability as long as possible and have them try to play through an adventure that way. If you're seeing this rather as a disruption of the character concept, just simply a an effect of, of a bad dice roll in the middle of the game, then the GM may decide this isn't worth doing all that. This is this will be a distraction. This will keep them from be, in, getting to the parts that they find really awesome about the game and say, okay, no, it's fine. You just go ahead and do that. It gets taken care of. used to be you just have a Magister cast regeneration on them and bang, it would be back within a couple of hours. Or in this case, they, they put a requisition not to go to Bangor, Maine for however long it takes to grow the leg, but for a new leg, prosthetic leg that gets stuck out on there. There you go. There's other options, sure. You know, this whole idea of Bangor, Maine, and time compression, this didn't exist officially before the D20 version. Yeah, yeah. You know, it used to be that you had to spend a whole year before you joined the Bureau 13 team. It was assumed that your character, after his experience, spent a year in training. And then the, the game world kind of picked up after that, you know, with everybody else who went through training and became, or got added to an existing team, and we went, kind of went on from there. And that when you did have training or you went up a level you needed to train, then you'd have to take a couple of weeks or a couple of months off to do that. It was just kind of built into the game and, and the GMs dealt with it. My only issue about the, the whole thing with the time compression are the other things that come up as a result, trying to make the logistics work with it, which is why I, make, I made the suggestion that the easiest way to make it all work together, if you're going to have the time compression, is to say that in Bangor, Maine, there is time compression, but it doesn't comprise the entirety of Bangor, Maine. It only comprises a portion of it. Right. That's all. Understood. Mm-hmm. I like that. As I said, I offered the suggestion of making it where you have to requisition where you can get in that zone other than your initial training. And that would make sense if there's a reason why you want to restrict it. Whatever reason why you could have time compression, and I just, I just saw this, and I hate to bring it up so late in the, in the conversation, you are going to another dimension. You're going to the land of Fae. You're going to the land of Fae where time there can run whenever, however it feels like it. You know? All right. Yeah. The problem there is you're in the land of Fae. 
So you got to deal with the fact that you're dealing with with fairies who may not like the bureau encampment for training people. People come in, they train for a year, they leave. The guards leave after you. The guards have only been in there for a day. Well, you've been here for a whole year. Well, no, I came in and today because we're dealing with magic and entering the land of fate. When you leave, you can leave the same day. You can leave a hundred years later. But uh. if you can get a stable entry into the land of fate, that could be another place to put Banger Maine. Training only, maybe research, but no storage because you don't want to put none of that stuff in the land of the Fey. I think yeah. another thing would be to discuss would be resources, food, water. Do they grow their own crops? Do they bring them in from the outside world? How do they yeah. get hmm. basic necessities? And the whole time compression, just how do you eat for that, that whole year that you're only away for you know a day? MREs no. and... I'm just saying, but, but did you bring a year's worth of food with you that will store yes. for a whole yeah, year? Yeah, BYOB. BYOB. Right, uh, <laughs> or it could be large enough in that it, it has, you know, crop lands. You know, maybe you have free run to do that, but maybe it's a limited number of people who can do it, so you have to get on a waiting list, and you can't just do it willy-nilly because it's like, hey, we can only support this many life forms in that time compression for this amount of time because we can only feed and, and provide water and handle the waste management. And like space travel, the first two months you have you eat well. Then come toward the end of the trip, you're eating tuna casserole because that's the only thing they had left. That's the stuff that you that you don't generally think of when you're role playing is is the you know the foundation of, of your uh, of your society or your, your your social living condition, it's like oh great that that's great you can do all this stuff but but what does that mean in the long run? I mean if this place is only so big, you... from my experience, you only train for between eight to ten hours a day. The rest of the time is yours. What right. you're going to do for the re- for remaining fourteen hours? Hopefully yeah. sleep. Not doing the class portions. The class portions you're not tra- you're, you're just doing a little PT and then it's off to classes. I think they, these people would be mentally and physically worn out each and every day during their training. Well, I yeah. went to this stuff. I went to this stuff for a year, and you know what? No, we weren't. I think that compared to bureau training, whatever training you took, John, was minor wow. league. Mm. Wow. <laughs> for the first year, for the training, it, it is nose to the grindstone. You wake up, you get your breakfast, you go to your training, you go to your classes. They're going to keep you physically and mentally engaged and only really give you maybe an hour or two between your classes or training sessions. So that's going to be your day, day in, day out for the full year. They're going to teach they, they you everything to you they rest. can. They have to let you rest. They can't keep you seven days a week for a year. You're going to get no. weekends off. Right, weekends off. And your off, trainers still, have... Monday through Friday, it and, is nose to the grindstone. And the, tra- and the trainers need time down, too. Even if it is just a classroom, just, like, sitting down, you're still going to have some heavy reading as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. still, there you have to recreate. The human psyche needs that downtime. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But the point is, is that it's going to be as intense as they can possibly make it just because everything that they're teaching means survival. So they're trying to give you your best chance of survival by everything that they do. So yes, they'll give you downtime, but it'll be the minimum downtime that they can give you so that they can get you back to learning things to save your life. They may even use Russian sleep, which is the uh, uh, electro-narcosis. You go to bed, they put the electrodes on your eye, the back of your head, turn on, you, and you go, you're, you're asleep. And then they turn you off in the morning, and you can wake up, oh, that was refreshing. But back to you know, what you were talking about, Blix, and you also, Amber, your vision as a GM, because we haven't spelled it out. We've just simply given our opinions here uh, and the issues that are involved. Your vision of what Bangor, Maine looks like on the inside is going to determine these kinds of things, whether you have uh, a matter creation thing a la Star Trek to provide all the food. You know, is, is it like a spaceship inside where there's just nothing but you know dirt and buildings and training areas? Well, you have the screenshots of what I think Bangor, Maine looks like. And granted, I do have to update that because I didn't think to accommodate a reliquary or a, a confinement area, but that's generally the idea that I get. I think that's great. The other GMs, they start thinking about what Bangor, Maine is like. They may have a different idea, and all we're trying to do is say, hey, when you start envisioning Bangor, Maine, these are the things that you have to consider. This is going to have to go into your logic, your world construction so that it makes sense. You know, unless you just want to hand wave and say, well, it's all magic, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. And you can do that too. <laughs> 
Amber, if you, you want to check out my vision of, of one of the storage facilities in the Bureau 13 Agents Everywhere group on Facebook, there's a document here called G. It's a little story about what was being stored in, in Bangor, Maine. I and, think I read that. Yeah, it's Godzilla. You got something like Godzilla or Gino, which is Godzilla in name only, stored there. He's waking up. What are you going to do when Godzilla wakes up in your storage facility? Bangor, Maine, the facility where Bureau 13 agents train and retrain and hold their own against the supernatural beings and events that affect Earth is a place that can be used to help your characters become better at who they are, what they are, and how they protect America against things that go bump in the night. The various options that we have given, you can pick and choose. Nothing has been written in stone about Bangor, Maine, as I said, and as Bruce has said, these are merely suggestions. Ultimately, the GM is the final arbiter on what Bangor, Maine means to the campaign, how much or how little it impacts the characters other than the initial training. Amber, I would like to thank you for joining in on this, for your input to not only to me, but also to the other gentlemen here and the listeners as far as what you've thought of for Bangor, Maine. Thank you. Yep. We always like having a, a female voice on the show because it's so rare. <laughs> <laughs> we always like guest hosts because they bring unique perspectives that the four of us can appreciate. Right. If I can find a way to make my Skype more stable, I'd be more than happy to participate in more. That would be great. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game. Hate the players. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction. No derivatives. And sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, We'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.